Now, if we'll prepare ourselves for worship, join me in the reading of today's scripture. Today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Our hearts and minds are open. Amen. Thank you. Well, uh, good morning and greetings to you once again. My name is Michael Bowman, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Asbury United Methodist Church, and just want to say welcome uh, to all of you, especially those who are new or newer with us, and those of you who will be joining us online. It is good to be in worship with you today and during this Advent season. Uh, the late theologian, author, pastor, husband, father, mystic, this is a really long introduction for someone, but the late Howard Thurman was once giving a sermon in which he entitled, The Growing Edge. And in this sermon, Thurman preached these words. He said, look well to the growing edge. All around us, worlds are dying and new worlds are being born. All around us, life is dying and life is being born. He said, the fruit ripens on the tree. The roots are silently at work in the darkness of the earth against a time when there shall be new leaves fresh blossoms, green fruit. Such is the growing edge. Thurman said, it is the extra breath from the exhausted lung, the one more thing to try when all else has failed, the upward reach of life when weariness closes in upon all endeavor. This is the basis of hope in moments of despair, the incentive to carry on when times are out of joint and men have lost their reason, the source of confidence when worlds crash and dreams whiten into ash. The birth of a child. Life's most dramatic answer to death. This is the growing edge incarnate. Look well to the growing edge. You probably agree with me that we live in a world that seems to be lacking of hope. You've probably read all the headlines, but outside of all the nauseating news cycle, each of us on a personal level have experienced or are currently experiencing in our own lives things like heartbreak and division and isolation and suffering. It might look different for each of us, but it's there. We know what it's like for our own dreams to come crashing down in front of us. We know death. We are all familiar with the reality that is our world. We, we get it, right? And yet, 
even amidst all of this, there is still hope. And is this not the message of Advent? Uh, One of my favorite living preachers, her name is Fleming Rutledge, she is famously known for saying that Advent begins in the dark. Advent begins in the dark. If you're unfamiliar with what Advent is, if you're new to the church, Advent simply is just the four weeks leading up to, to Christmas. It's, it's a season of waiting here in the church. In fact, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, that's also the first day of the Christian New Year, so happy New Year to you. Uh, but Rutledge says that Advent begins in the dark, and she's not wrong because Advent is a season in the life of our church that, that mirrors to us, it reflects back to us exactly what life as we know it is like. For though we live in this world where God might seem silent, in a world where things do in fact look dark, we wait. Better yet, we hope for the coming of Christ to make all things right. That is Advent. And that is, as Thurman would say, our growing edge, Christ coming amongst us. Thurman said it again, just to hear it once more, that this is, in fact, the basis of hope in our moments of despair, the incentive to carry on when times are out of joint and men have lost their reason, the source of confidence when worlds crash and dreams whiten into ash. Did you catch it? He said, this, this is what it is. The birth of the child. This is, this is the growing edge incarnate, the most dramatic answer to death. And when it comes to something like hope, when it comes to the reality of what, what hope is, the deepest truth about what hope is, I want us to understand that when someone like Howard Thurman is talking about hope, we need a little bit of context. See, Howard Thurman was born in 1899 and grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, He's black, or was black, he's dead now. Um, As an African-American growing up in the Jim Crow South, a world heavily um, influenced by that of white supremacy, his life was literally in danger every day. No matter where he went, what he did. Uh, In fact, Thurman grew up just one generation removed from his grandmother who experienced slavery as a human being, experienced being enslaved as a human being. So when someone like Howard Thurman decides to talk about hope, or for that matter, when any oppressed person gains the courage to open their mouth and speak about something like hope, then each of us would do well to listen to what it is they have to say. So the question that I have, I guess, for us today is one that Thurman might ask, and that is, well, what is your growing edge? What is your growing edge today? Another way to maybe say that is, where does your hope come from? Where does your hope come from? Our passage today that John read for us a moment ago comes from Hebrews 4, in which the author offers up a description of who Jesus is. He calls Jesus our great high priest. And I don't have enough time to just go through all the biblical references and the sources to talk about uh, the symbolism here of Jesus being the high priest. Simply put, though, what it means is that Jesus is our mediator uh, between humanity 
and the divine. And yet in Jesus, we find existing within him both humanity and the divine. 100% man, 100% God. Paul in his letter to the Colossians would say that it's in Jesus that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And it's Jesus, who our author tells us, is the one who has experienced and understands all of our weaknesses. That is, as the author is trying to point out, we do not have a high priest in Jesus who is out of touch with our reality. Yet, this is the problem that we face every year in the church around this time. We come into contact with this problem every year at Advent and at Christmas, and here it is. I'm going to lay it out very plainly. God born human. I think Christmas goes all too quickly, and not because it's filled with nostalgia and beautiful trees and presents, but because it's so easy to miss what it is that we are being reminded of and celebrate. God born, we could stop there, and that's mind-blowing enough, but God born human. God was born to a young, as in teenage, poor woman from a nobody town called Nazareth who had to travel to Bethlehem and give birth to this son, that is, God in the flesh, where the animals slept. And I find it interesting, and maybe you do too, that as I read through the gospel uh, narratives, these biographies of Jesus' life, no one had an issue with Jesus being human. No one had trouble uh, uh, with Jesus, in fact, being a human being. He was obviously human. Where people began to get frustrated, and as the narratives note, hostile, is when they were confronted with the fact that Jesus is God. And yet, after Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and after Pentecost and the birth of the church, after churches started sprouting up all over the place and Christianity became religion, the opposite became true. Whereas before, we didn't have an issue with Jesus' humanity, we had trouble wrapping our minds around Jesus being God. Today, and it was true of the early church as well, but especially today still, Christians, we can take it, that, or we, we can understand that Jesus is God. We accept that. And yet we have a problem with, if we're honest, Jesus being human. This is the problem we face every year around this time, that God was born human. Jesus was fully human. Jesus, in fact, got things like headaches and scraped knees and stubbed toes. His hygiene really wasn't up to par with ours. You know, he, he probably had BO from all the sweating in the hot sun and bad breath. Let's just be real. We can talk about Jesus this way. He probably had bad hair days. He wept over the loss of good friends and understood things like uh, loss and sorrow and depression. Uh, Jesus, who to say it politely, knew how to operate a bathroom, but you know, in his day, it was more like a latrine. He got hungry and thirsty, he had sore feet, he grew tired, he knew what it was like to submit to someone and learn from them and to be taught. He wasn't all that much to look at, according to the prophets. Jesus lost friends along the way and understood things like isolation and loneliness. Jesus was fully human, and he didn't just turn on his divinity when he wanted to. 
He didn't just turn on his divinity to escape things like pain or to alleviate his own suffering or to not experience things like need. Jesus, God in the flesh, succumbed to the fullness of what it means to be human, even to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. And to believe anything less would be to miss out on the whole beautiful, wonderful, amazing, awe-inspiring picture of who Jesus is. See, Jesus came into the world born as a human being. Jesus was killed and died on a cross as a human being. Jesus resurrected from the dead three days later as a human being, and he ascended into heaven, taking his seat on the throne of God ruling as king of the universe as a human being. You see, the one who holds all things together came among us and was held in the loving arms of his mother. Take a moment to consider that. God who created all things, became incarnate as a helpless baby boy who was utterly dependent on his mother to survive, finding rest and solace in her arms, finding safety and hope in being held. Sarah, uh, my wife Sarah, is about to give birth to our second son, and I don't know if you've noticed where my eyes have gone over and over again through this sermon, but it's to her because we're the kind of close where if she gives me the thumbs up, I'm going to stop, bless you, and we're going to go to the hospital. Uh, You're laughing, but uh, I was talking to John before this. I am ready to go. I mean, I'm nervous. Um, But she's about to give birth to our second son. And because we're so close, lately I've been thinking a lot about, dreaming about what it was like when our first son, Grady, was born about five years ago. Uh, I think it was about a year and a half to two years ago now, Sarah and I were having a conversation and she asked me, Michael, where is it that you feel safe? Those are the kind of conversations we have in my house. Where is it that you feel safe? And I told her uh, the same thing that I would tell you as I will even now. I feel most safe when I'm holding Grady's hand. Because when I hold his hand, it reminds me of what it was like to hold him for the very first time. It takes me back to the hospital room and I got to look at my son as I held him for the very first time and I thought to myself, this is what hope feels like. And we were talking about this this past week, I was mentioning this to Sarah and and she said to me, do you know why that is? (laughs) Good question. I said the same thing, why? And she said, it's because it reminds you of what it feels like to be held. Hope is like being held. So where does your hope come from? Well, for the Christian, our hope, of course, comes from Jesus, the person of Jesus. That is God who is with us with us in our very midst, even right now. 
even in the war and the violence and the conflict of our day, even in the heartache and the heartbreak that you might be experiencing in this very moment, even in the marriages that are just barely clinging on, even in the grieving that comes with the cancer diagnosis, even in the despair that comes with those questions that just seem unanswerable, God is with us. And I want you to look around you just for a second. It's not awkward, just look around you and notice. We are with us. I've been talking about Sarah a lot today. She probably hates it. Please do not look back at her. Uh, but I'm married to a counselor. Sarah's a therapist. And so, you know, like on a daily basis, I'm confronted with how I'm doing as a person and what our relationship is like and where we're at. This is not a gripe. This is a wonderful thing. I'm going to hear about it later. Uh, also, like, why did you talk about me so much? But because I'm married to a therapist, I, I get some insight into what's going on in the world of psychology and how there's all these studies that are being done that are proving and pointing to the fact that healing, all healing happens in the context of relationships. All healing happens in the context of our relationships with one another and our relationship with God and our relationship with our world and creation. This is where healing takes place. It happens in our very midst even in the very midst of the darkness that we might be experiencing. It is true that healing takes place. For just as Thurman preached so long ago, the fruit still ripens on the tree. The roots are silently, yes, maybe even silently at work in the darkness of the earth against a time when there shall be new leaves, fresh blossoms, and green fruit. Such is the growing edge. Such is the growing edge, and such is hope. For as the author of Hebrews reminds us, I hope you caught that in verse 16 at the end of our passage this morning, it is because of Jesus, who is our hope, all of us get to approach the very throne of God, and we get to do so with boldness. Did you catch that word? It's boldness. We don't have to come with fear and trembling. Instead, we approach the throne with boldness, that is, with confidence and trust. And this throne, I hope you were paying attention, is not a throne of judgment that Jesus is sitting upon. In fact, the scriptures say it's a throne of grace. And it is there at the throne of grace that there is a promise waiting for us. At the throne of grace, we receive mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. So may we approach this throne, may we walk right up to Jesus, ready to receive what he is so ready to give.